helping to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. This is the Constitution Study on the America Out Loud Network with your host, Paul Engel. When we talk about our rights, we usually think about things like freedom of religion and speech, or maybe the Miranda warning we see so often on television. Have you considered, though, our right to self-govern? See, we all know the first three words in the preamble to the Constitution of the United States. We, the people. But have you considered how that passage ends? It ends with, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. We have a right for the Constitution we have ordained to be followed as the supreme law of the land. We have the right to expect those who take an oath to support the Constitution to faithfully fulfill that oath. And we have a right to expect the states that we established through their own constitutions to defend the Constitution of the United States from all enemies, foreign and domestic. What is the state of that defense of our rights by the states? And what do we, the people, need to do to help in that defense? Well, hello there, Everyday Americans. Paul Engel here with the Constitution Study, where we read and study the Constitution, which each rising generation to be free. I'm glad you could join me today. We are talking about the state of defense of our rights, meaning I'm looking at how states are defending our rights, but then I want to take some time and discuss what do we need to do. You know, the American people have become very apathetic when it comes to actually doing something to protect our rights. This is a generalization I know. There are a lot of people that are trying to defend rights, and, and some people will focus on some rights and some will focus on other rights. But as a whole, it appears that the American people are really looking for someone else to defend their rights for them. This is evidenced by a lot of things, by uh, um, the fact that we keep looking for a president that's going to defend our rights or a governor that's going to defend our rights or that the courts will defend our rights, rather than saying, what are we going to do to defend our rights? So I want to make sure I get to that by the end of of this conversation today. But I want to start out with uh, Texas, because, um, well, Texas has been standing up lately, and, and, and I want to make sure we talk to Texans about things they can do to help defend their own rights. So uh, let's start. The latest I've seen is... Uh, uh, there was a, a demand letter sent to um, Attorney General Paxton of Texas. Uh, this was sent by uh, the General Counsel of the Department of Homeland Security, uh, basically demanding that uh, the state of Texas grant the uh, U.S. Border Patrol access to this two and a half, this land that includes two and a half miles of, of the border with Mexico. Now, This is where I want to dig into this. This is where, again, details matter. So reading from the letter, uh, it says, uh, uh, again, from DHS to Attorney General Paxton, the U.S. Constitution tasks the federal government with regulating immigration. I keep asking where. Where does it do that? Well, notice, I want to point out, the Department of Homeland Security doesn't actually quote the Constitution. It points to a court opinion. Arizona v. United States, uh, back from 2012. 
Now, what's interesting is the, the DHS then quotes a line from that opinion saying, the government of the United States has broad, undoubted power over the subject of immigration and the state of, of aliens. Again, that doesn't quote, they don't quote the actual Constitution. That points to another court opinion. So I said, all right, well, well rather than looking at what DHS looked at, how about I take a look at that court opinion and see what it says about the, the question. And the court said that the author- this authority rests in part on the national government's constitutional power to establish an uniform rule of naturalization. And they do, this is right from the Constitution, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 4. But there's a problem. That's a rule of naturalization. That is not immigration. Immigration and naturalization, these are not the same thing. Naturalization is how you take a non-citizen, how someone becomes a citizen, and immigration is how someone comes to this country for the purpose of living here. They want to migrate. They want to move here. It goes on to say uh, that, all right, so they say first it's established in the naturalization, which says nothing about immigration. It says, and its inherent power as sovereign to control and conduct relations with foreign nations. Okay, first of all, um, there's very limited relations with foreign nations that are actually mentioned in the Constitution. Article 1, Section 8, Clause 3 says Congress, the Congress, Congress has the power to regulate commerce with foreign nations. Not not to do anything they want, but again, Congress has the power to regulate uh, uh, that with foreign nations. There's also the, um, the valuing of foreign money but it says nothing about immigration. This is important. But there's another interesting point. They say that the U.S. government is sovereign. It is not. Let me say that again. It is not. Sovereign, as defined by Webster's 1828 Dictionary, is supreme in power, possessing supreme dominion. There's a problem. Or, or in other words, to say superior in all others. The government of the United States is not supreme in power, dominion, or superior to all others. It is, a, it is subject to the Constitution of the United States. That is the supreme power, the supreme law of the land. And you could even go back so far as say, well, the Constitution doesn't exist without the people ordaining and establishing it, as we read from the preamble. So the people are sovereign. So you have this, the court case, they don't cite the Constitution. The only time they cite the Constitution, they claim it says something it clearly does not say. Their own quote that they use does not say what the court says it says. Now, the way the court tries to justify this, they say the federal power to determine immigration policy is well settled. Based on what? Well, immigration policy can affect trade, investment, tourism, and diplomatic relations for the entire nation. Well, yeah, but, um, okay, trade, we're not talking, the only group that can affect trade is Congress, and Congress has set laws for immigration. The problem isn't the laws being set for immigration. The problem is the executive branch is refusing to enforce those laws. They're bypassing the laws. They're going around those laws. In other words, the problem that Texas has with Customs and Border Patrol is not that they are establishing a, a, or more accurately, they are enforcing a policy contrary to federal law. 
in that they are not establishing the policy for immigration, which, again, the Constitution doesn't delegate to the United States, but they are subverting the law regarding that, regarding the enforcement. They go on to say that Congress has specified categories of aliens who may not be admitted to the United States. And they simply quote, um, uh, uh, they quote federal law, but there's a problem. And that problem is something they are about to claim in this case. What is that problem? The Supremacy Clause. We read, um, the Supremacy Clause provides a clear rule that federal law shall be the supreme law of the land, and the judges in every state shall be bound thereby anything in the constitutional laws of, the United, of, the state, of any state to the contrary, notwithstanding. There's a fundamental problem that is a, that is a misquote that rises to the case of lie. Right. This is not a simple, oops, I had a typo. The Constitution does not say that federal law is the supreme law of the land. Article 6, Clause 2 says, This Constitution and the laws of the United States which shall be made in pursuance thereof, and all treaties made of which shall be made under the authority of the United States, shall be the supreme law of the land, and the judges in every state shall be bound thereby, anything in the constitutional laws to the contrary notwithstanding. It should be quite obvious by the fact that when the, uh, the, the, the court quoted the Supremacy Clause, they didn't start quoting until shall be the supreme law of the land. They, when they say that, that federal, when they quoted the clear rule that federal law, that's not part of the quote. They are lying to you. Right? So if that law that Congress made defining aliens and, and who can and cannot enter is not made pursuant to the Constitution, it is not the supreme law of the land. This is why, and, and the fact that you have the Department of Homeland Security quoting a Supreme Court case that lied in their opinion about the Supremacy Clause, that lied in their opinion that the Constitution delegates to the United States vast powers about immigration, Right? These are, ladies and gentlemen, these are lies. I'd even lied by the saying that the United States, the government of the United States is sovereign. Right? These are all lies. And those lies are the basis that this letter from DHS to, to A.G. Paxton are based on. Here's another lie, lie, lie from in this letter. They say on, on January 12th, 2024, upon learning from uh, Grupo Beta, a group affiliated with the National Institute of Migration of Mexico, that a group of migrants was attempting to cross the river, Border Patrol contacted Texas officials and requested access to the border. Texas refused. Later, a rescue team from Mexico was able to rescue two individuals from the group, both with signs of hypothermia. Three individuals drowned. Stop right there. In a Supreme Court filing, the Department of Justice said, no, the people that had problems, the people that were rescued, and the people that drowned happened at least an hour before Border and Customs, before Border Patrol was notified. At least an hour before they were notified. Right? This is why the details matter. And then the letter wraps up with, uh, if you have not confirmed by the end of, of day, January 17, 2024, that Texas will cease and desist its efforts to block Border Patrol's access in and, and around the Shelby Park area and remove all barriers to access to the U.S.-Mexico border, we will refer the matter to the Department of Justice for appro uh, appropriate action and consider all other options available to restore Border Patrol access to the border. Um, you know what Texas did? 
nothing. I am so glad that Texas simply ignored this demand letter. Because again, if you read the Constitution, Texas is on constitutionally sound ground. This letter from DHS is based not in the Constitution. It is based in a court opinion that lies about what the Constitution says. It's based, again, on a whole series. It's why you have to understand U.S. law is not the supreme law of the land unless it's made pursuant to the Constitution. And the fact that the court lied about that. Yes, lied. I keep using that word, lied. I need you to understand. This was not simply a oops. This is a flat-out lie that has been promulgated for decades through the judicial system. The lie that U.S. law is the supreme law of the land. The lie that the Constitution says that the United States is in charge of immigration. And now we have the lie that uh, uh, be, just because that um, immigration may or may not involve commerce, Congress sets the rules. Congress has established, yes, here, he, here are the rules for people coming across the border. Now, do they have the legal constitutional authority to do so? I say no. Because they're not, if they're not involved in trade, in international commerce, Where's Congress get its authority? Oh, yes, that made-up nonsense about immigration that has no basis in the actual language of the Constitution. Do you see why I, I get so wrapped up about court opinions that rather than quoting the Constitution, either quote another court opinion, or in some cases when they do quote the Constitution, they kind of leave out the points that, that put the lie to what they're saying? So here... We have the state of Texas defending their citizens, defending the property of those citizens, defending their citizens' right to to self-govern, and is looking at what the Biden administration has been doing, saying, you're not even following, you claim that Congress can make laws about this, you're not even following them, fine, then you stay out, we'll do it for ourselves. I've heard people make all sorts of claims about this. This is Texas doing its job. This is Texas saying, if you're not going to enforce the Constitution and the rule of law, we will. You know, rather than saying, you know, remember, it's, it's the United States' job to protect Texas and all the states from invasion. Now, okay, legally, this is not an invasion, but there's a huge influx. And rather than doing that, you know, again, why... Why will not uh, um, Texas allow uh, Border Patrol to simply take custody and ship these people out? Because they're doing so in violation of U.S. law. They're actually committing a federal crime, as I understand it. As I understand it. Because transporting people through the United States that are here illegally is actually a federal crime. That's why they won't let Border Patrol in. Because Border Patrol is actively subverting the law. And um, they're standing up. Now, what can Texans do? All right, here's the first thing I would, love, I would like you to do. I would like you to send letter, open letters to uh, the Attorney General, to Governor Abbott, to every news outlet you can find, and take that information I just gave you and say thank you. Thank you. Here, here's, look, look at what they're doing wrong. You're doing the right thing. Thank you. And we will support you. If you want to, you know, whether it's, you know, we'll show up and, and demonstrate, peacefully demonstrate, if BCP tries to force their way 
into uh, a land that Texas said, sorry, you can't go there. Demonstrate. Send letters. Send letters everywhere. Contact your your representative, your, your, your senators, and say, BCP, Border Patrol, Customs, whatever group, are not fulfilling their const- their oath to support the Constitution and execute the laws of the United States. Therefore, um, that's why Texas won't let them in. See if you can get on a, a you know, a, 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 I don't want to say a press release, but if there's a presser, right, if there's cameras, get on that. And don't simply rant and rave. Be, in, be articulate. That's why I gave you the details about the constitutional issue, the Arizona v. United States issue, the definition of sovereign. I gave you those so that you have the, the tools to go to the media and say, wait a second, Texas is fulfilling their obligation. It is Border Patrol that is violating the Constitution. It is Border Patrol that is violating federal law. It is Border Patrol that is not being held to account for their malfeasance except by the governor and attorney general of the state of Texas. You see, if the attorney general and the governor are going to stand to protect your rights, stand with them and support them and let them know that you've got their back, that you'll remember what they did come election time, that they stood when it would have been easier to simply roll over and play dead in front of the feds. Now, I have to take a break. Before I go, though, I want to remind you, go to AmericaOutloud.news every day. Make it a a go-to stop to find the news and information of what's going on. But then do your part. See, the reason I give you some of these links and some of this information is so that you can share the stories, share the articles, share the podcasts, the videos, share them with friends, share them with family, share them with social media. Use them to educate others. And by doing so, help secure the blessings of liberty. I'm so confused. I don't know what to do. I'm afraid of going to the hospital. My doctor tells me nutrition doesn't work. Trust is earned. We are the Energetic Health Institute, and we want to earn your trust. Natural medicine, holistic nutrition, detoxification, fasting, cellular healing, and so much more. Remember, the best way to be free is to be healthy. So stop being a patient and start being a student at energetichealthinstitute.org. We know you love the versatility and portability of the Genesis Fogger, but sometimes you just want to set it and forget it. Well, we heard you. Introducing the UX4 HOCL Atomizer. This stationary unit quietly protects you and is perfect for smaller spaces. With over a quarter million units sold in Japan, it's now available in the United States. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to see the UX4 in action and receive a 15% discount on either Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. The Wellness Company's chief medical board designed every supplement and medical protocol with your health in mind. From groundbreaking supplements like the Spike Support Formula to unique care like Freedom from Big Pharma. 
Join a healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interest of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be, with a company that shares your values. Go to outloudcare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Welcome back, Everyday Americans. You've rejoined the Constitution Study. Today we're talking about the state of defense of our rights. By that I mean states that are actually, oh, I don't know, defending our rights. So I spent the first uh, segment talking about what's going on in Texas and uh, the, the not just the lies by the media, but the lies by the courts, the lies by the Department of Homeland Security. They're being propagated. And again, um, I'm pretty sure that the uh, general counsel of DHS who sent the, the demand letter to uh, AG uh, the AG of Texas didn't know any better. He believes the lie. He was told that the federal government oversees immigration. He was told it was so based on a, a court case. Even though that court case lies about what the Constitution says, he probably has never checked it. So we have lie upon lie upon lie, and uh, that's leading us to um, to a the idea of a state defending itself from a a corrupt and incompetent federal government agency being considered uh, anarchy or, or, or uh, who knows, sooner or later probably be called insurrection. I even saw one article where they, they compared it to um, with the, state, the, the, the states that tried to secede from the Union or that did secede from the Union um, back in, in the Civil War. But it's not. See, that's why I want the details. And I want people to know these details so that they can stand up with their state government actors, the ones that are standing up for the truth, and help them. Help them with facts, help them with data, help them with the truth. So let's switch gears a little bit here, and I'm going to talk for a while about... That's right, we're going to talk a bit about money and what the states are doing with money. Now, the Constitution of the United States prohibits states from using anything as legal tender other than um, gold and silver. Uh, specifically from Article 1, Section 10, uh, it says that no state shall enter into any treaty, alliance, or confederation, grant letters of marquee and reprisal, coin money, emit bills of credit, make anything but gold and silver coin a tender in public debt. See, that's a very important clause because it says states cannot make their own money. The states cannot print money the way the federal government does. But they can still use gold and silver coin or gold and silver money uh, as money to pay debts. And several states have started moving down this, this road to saying the, the, we want to allow our citizens to use gold and silver as a, a form of payment Basically because the federal government is so far, so badly debased the U.S. dollar, the pe people want something, another alternative. Well, uh, earlier this year, a bill was filed in the House of the State of Indiana, House Bill 1400, and it would, um, it would set the stage for people to use gold and silver as legal tender. Specifically, it would define what's called specie money or, or specie tender a, a, as basically any 
anything that in any gold or silver product that is um, refined and made in some shape, size. The important thing is they also want to set up bullion depositories. And, and these are very cool. If we could get bullion depositories in the states that will actually issue and honor checks and or debit cards against that deposit, we would have a, a source of transaction separate from the federal government's and, and, and the, the uh, Federal Reserve. Why is this important? Well, you see, most people look at inflation as an increase in the cost of products. What it really is, is a decrease in the value of the dollars used to buy those products. Well, for example, anybody remembers when was inflation hit like 9%? And everybody's saying, you know, everything costs 9% more. No, I mean, that's, I, I suppose that's technically true, but a more accurate definition is the dollar is worth 9% less. You need more dollars because they're not worth as much. So in a state like Indiana, and others have gone before it, say we want to be able to use gold and silver, coin, bullion, uh, as legal tender, it gives people an opportunity. Now the problem you run into is how do you transfer? Right? You, you, your, our financial system is dependent on things like checks and credit cards and debit cards. The other question is, okay, um, who's going to set up the depository? Is the state... Is the state going to create its own depository or are they going to have private entities create their own depositories that offer services? These are a lot of questions. But what I'm seeing are more and more states moving this way, saying we want to make gold and silver money, legal money, so it isn't taxed, so it can be used as currency, and so the people can break away if they wish from the Federal Reserve note that's probably in most of our pockets. Now, the other thing around money in states that has been interesting is this idea of a, a central bank digital currency. Well, again, recently, Tennessee Senate introduced Senate Bill 1764, which would define the term central bank digital currency and exclude it from the definition of money for the purpose of the Tennessee Uniform Commercial Code. Meaning, within the state of Tennessee, a CDBC would not be considered money. Now, the bill says, well, money is a medium of exchange currently authorized and adopted by domestic and foreign governments. So, the, the, as, as I believe this means, what they're trying to say is, you won't be forced to accept CDBCs. If you don't want to, uh, if you don't want to accept payment in CBDCs, you won't be forced to at least within the state of Tennessee. Again, another pushback against the federal government and its move to debase our dollars. Now, listen, Congress has the power to coin money, to make money. It doesn't simply mean you can, it has to make coins. The term coin means to make, so they can make money. So Congress has the legal authorities. If they could make coin money, they could make paper money, they can make digital money. What these states are trying to do is not say Congress cannot make central, a, a digital currency. What we're saying is we're not going to make it the only option you have here. We're not going to, you know, if, if you look at a Federal Reserve note, it says legal tender for all debts, public and private. What we're saying is you, is you can't be forced to, to take it. 
Now, there's another part that here, and again, we're staying in the, the great old state of Tennessee. I know there's a reason why I moved here. And this is House Bill 1784. And what it says is under our Consumer Protection Act of 1977, it would be considered deceptive or unfair practices for a financial institution to require a firearm retailer to use specific firearm-specific tra- tra- transaction codes. I knew I'd get it out there. You remember when the, uh, uh, the credit card companies were creating these uh, commerce codes, these transaction codes that would identify uh, firearms, firearm accessories, or firearm dealers? So that they would, in Tennessee, that'd be a violation of the Consumer Protection Act. It's considered an unfair or deceptive practice for a financial institution to require that a firearms retailer uh, use a firearm-specific uh, transaction code. And again, the big concern is why they tra- why are they focus on firearms. Well, because government entities, well, pretty much since before the United States was the United States. In fact, when even before we were colonies, knows that it can, they can um, they can control a a their population by limiting their access to arms. I mean, go all the way back to the the Old Testament. I think it was a Gideon. Or no, I'm sorry, uh, King Saul. Um, King Saul and his son Jonathan were the only men in the army with swords because the people they were fighting set the laws and said, no, no one's allowed to have swords except, well, the king and his, and his family. It goes way, way back. So here we have Tennessee again, pushing back on this idea of, of um, we want to flag these because why do you want to flag them? Well, because you want to do something with that data at some point in time. That's the logical assumption. So here we have uh, uh, two states and and multiple bills. Um, Indiana with the idea of, of setting up uh, uh, depositories, making gold and silver um, money, legal tender. Uh, you have Tennessee where they're saying that... Uh, um, uh, CDC, CBDCs will not be considered money within the state of Tennessee and that you cannot use you, know, the, you can't be forced to use uh, uh, financial codes, credit card codes to flag transactions that are firearm specific um, what can we do well alright let's start with the people in Indiana pretty much, actually it's pretty much the same on both sides if you like the idea of being able to, not being forced to, being able to use gold and silver as money. And again, the important reason about flagging it as money um, is it is no longer taxed. It's not a sales tax. You don't pay a tax on a U.S. dollar when you buy something with it. Why should you be taxed with gold if you buy something with it? Right? That's important. Uh, this idea of depositories, of setting up bank-like structures where, you know, you deposit physical gold and then being able to use it. I'd love to see a plan to use these more like banks, meaning I can go to the to the depository, I can deposit funds in the depository, basically meaning I can buy gold from the depository's reserve using cash, check, credit card, whatever I want. They hold that gold for me and when I write a check or use a debit card 
they pay U.S. dollars by selling whatever, you know, some of my gold deposit to offset that cost. I'd love to see this. I think this would be very interesting, and I'm hoping that it will be considered. Again, the point is making it legal tender, money, real. Of course, again, we've got the, uh, the, the CBDCs, the central bank digital currencies, and there are a lot of concerns about this. Why? Because digital currencies are manipulative. They're manipulable, right? So if you got a piece of gold, you got a piece of gold. Unless someone come, breaks in and steals it, you have that gold. If you have cash, you have cash. Now, that, that cash, the value of that cash can be manipulated, right? Because Congress has the authority to set the value of money, to set the value of cash, uh, of U.S. dollars, I should say. And um, so it's been, it has been manipulated for decades now. Uh, making it worth less and less and less. So you know, you, 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 having something that you can you can be able, they they can still manipulate it. The problem with digital currency is, see, if you have cash, you know they talk they talk about people sticking their cash in a, in the mattress or under the floorboards to protect it. Um, you can't do that with digital currency. You can't hide it under the floorboard. How? It's it's being recorded in some sort of central repository. Oh, it's going to be a blockchain. Okay, I don't care. Because once it's controlled digitally, what's to stop um, what's to stop the the Fed from from using negative interest rates? Meaning, if you store your money with a bank, that bank instead of paying you interest takes from you interest. See, if you got cash, you can simply say, I'm going to take the cash out of the bank. And in fact, when, when uh, Japan tried this, they had a tremendous run on safes. See, everybody's buying safes because they were taking their money out of the bank and stick it in the safe because the banks were stealing their money with negative interest rates. And of course, it goes beyond that, right? Because now, if you got a central bank digital currency, then the government authorizes every transaction, or the Federal Reserve authorizes every transaction. But you go to the, to the gas station and you stick your credit card in, you see that sign, authorizing. That's the, the fuel station authorizing with your credit card company whether or not they're going to make the payment. What happens when that's not the credit card company, but the Federal Reserve? When it's the federal government that's doing that. Well, you really don't want that. So Tennessee says, uh, no, 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 we're not going to, we're not going to do that here. And we're also not going to allow you to track firearm-specific transaction codes within the state of Tennessee. Ah, these bills are still bills, right? These are, these are ideas. Do you support them? If you do, do me a favor. Uh, write an email, write a letter, make a phone call. Tell your state representative. Tell your state senator. Not only that you like these bills, but why you like these bills. And that you will, you'll be watching. If they support these bills, then you'll be inf more influenced to vote for them in their next election. If they vote against these bills, you'll be less likely to vote for them in the next election. Let them know. And let them know that you'll support them if they make these decisions. When, when media or other actors come after them, you'll, you'll be there. You'll, you'll speak on camera. You'll write letters. You'll make phone calls. Be willing to support the people that are standing up for your rights. Otherwise, why would they do that? I mean, think about it. 
if you think about it from uh, just a human nature standpoint, if we're not going to support the people that are trying to protect our rights, why should they continue to try to protect our rights? Okay, I've got another break coming up. Um, before I go, though, I want to talk a little about, well, spike proteins. Things like shedding. You realize the people that got the jab, they shed spike proteins. These these toxic, inflammatory uh, components, they're, they're shedding them. Like, you know, what was it? A pig pen shedding dirt. Well, what can you do about it? Now, maybe you got vaxxed and you're concerned that now you got the spike protein in your body. Or maybe you're not vaxxed and you're concerned about shedding. Well, the wellness company has something. They have what they call daily spike support. Spike support. It's designed to protect you against the effects of the vaccine or the shedding of the spike protein. Now, it's backed by documented research and vetted by the chief medical board of the wellness company. Better yet, as an America Out Loud listener, you can get 25% off Spike Support or any of the wellness company's products. You can even get 25% off your first month of membership. Now, to find out how, go to AmericaOutloud.shop. You'll find Spike Support and a lot of products from the wellness company. You'll find out also how to get that discount. So be sure to go to AmericaOutloud.shop to find out more and then try Spike Support and all the other great products at the wellness company. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-term effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. Fortunately, Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the Wellness Company designed their spike support formula with the miracle enzyme natokinase, scientifically studied to dissolve spike protein so you can feel your very best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death and disability. Today's high-stress, on-the-go lifestyle makes it hard to stay heart-healthy. Lifestyle changes like exercise and diet are critical, but you can also support your heart with concentrated nutrients. Healthy Cell created heart and vascular health to support three aspects of heart health, cholesterol, blood pressure, and triglycerides, with CoQ10, vitamin K2, resveratrol, and soluble fiber. And Healthy Cell's not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients. You would need to take 13 pills to get the same amount of nutrients in each gel pack. And these great-tasting gels come in a small packet. Tear off the top, shoot it down, or mix it in water. Get heart healthy. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD for 25% off. George Washington once encouraged us to animate and encourage each other and show the whole world that a free man contending for liberty on his own ground is superior to any slavish mercenary on earth. That's exactly what we do, as you'll see when you visit AmericaOutloud.news. Now is our time. My fellow Americans, America Out Loud Talk Radio, liberty and justice for all.
Welcome back, Everyday Americans, to rejoin the Constitution study. And today we're talking about the state of defense of our rights. Uh, for most of the program, I've been talking about states defending our rights from federal incursion. But, you know, states can inf infringe on your rights as well. And I got a couple of, of bills here that, well, they do just that. We're staying here in Tennessee, where H. Bill 1237 was, was introduced and, uh, well, its purpose is generally simple, and it's to rein in what's known as qualified immunity. You see, the, the, the courts have said, listen, you know, uh, government actors have, have a, a certain level of immunity when they're acting in their official capacity. They have a certain level of immunity in their actions. The problem is, while there is some justification for it, like so many other things, it's been, well, terribly abused. So House Bill 1237, the summary of it reads, as introduced, creates a civil right of action by an injured party against a law enforcement officer who subjects the injured party to the deprivation of an individual right secured by the Tennessee Constitution, declares that qualified immunity, governmental immunity, and statutory limitations on damages do not apply to this civil right of action, and it makes other provisions regarding the payment of damages. So, uh, again, here's the, the example uh, of the situation. So, um, say there's a law enforcement officer, and he's, he's given a, a, a warrant to, um, a search warrant, arrest warrant, and he's supposed to go execute this. It comes to find out that the warrant was invalid. Right? There was some problem with the warrant. It wasn't based on probable cause. The warrant's considered invalid. You can't sue the officer for violating your rights by by uh, uh, executing an invalid warrant unless you could show that he knew it was invalid and and uh, did so anyway. I mean, that's the was the, the purpose of this idea of a, of a qualified immunity or, or some sort of immunity to protect the, the individual from outrageous actions. The problem is it's been used, it's been abused in so many ways. Um, the, the one I like to pick on is a case I saw I, a couple years ago where um, two law enforcement officers were, um, were in hot pursuit of a felon who jumped a fence into this family's backyard. The police followed him. Uh, by the way, that's legal because they were in hot pursuit of a felon. The police draw their weapons. They uh, order everybody to lie down. Everybody lies down. All the family to lie down there. The family dog comes out of the house, and the dog's not being aggressive, but the dog's kind of curious. Well, the, the family owners tell the dog to go back in the house. The dog goes back in the house, comes back out, and again, not being aggressive. Well, one of the officers shoots the dog, killing the dog and injuring one of the children. And when it went to court, when they, the family sued, they said, well, you qualified immunity. There's no reason why the, uh, the officer would be reasonably believe that it was a violation of constitutional rights to destroy an animal without having you being in, in, to, to, to use lethal force against an animal without uh, being in uh, imminent threat of death or bodily injury. It was a ridiculous opinion, uh, a truly atrocious opinion, but um, it was uh, uh, it, these are the types of things that again imagine you're a law enforcement officer or you're any government official. And you realize that, except for the most egregious acts, you can pretty much get away with depriving people of their rights. That's what bills like uh, HB 1237 in Tennessee are designed to 
to deal with is to remove this this air of sovereignty from the government. The idea that government actors cannot be held accountable for their actions because, well, they work for the government, therefore they're special. And another example is asset forfeiture. Now, listen, I remember when this when this started coming to the forefront, you know, you had the, the war on drugs and th- this this generally laudable idea that uh, criminals should not profit from their criminal activities. So they came up with this idea of saying, hey, you know, you got these drug cartels and they're making millions of dollars. Um, what if we could take that money away from them to stop feeding the, the system? So they came up with this different sorts of forfeitures, including a, a civil asset forfeiture. And the, the, again, the general idea, well, it made sense, right? If you are um, a drug dealer and uh, you're, you, you're caught dealing drugs, well, let's seize you know, the cars and the boats and the mansions or whatever that are the gain, the, the, the profit from those illegal act proceeds. The problem is, well, problems twofold. One is uh, people went well beyond the uh what would be a reasonable question of of an asset forfeiture and in an attempt to continue since since you know local communities and law enforcement get a cut of the forfeiture well they're incented to invoke civil asset forfeiture for a lot of things which leads to some pretty ridiculous cases like uh one i heard i think was in in new york uh the state of new york versus one hundred and eleven thousand dollars yeah. So civil asset for again, terribly abused, you know, no due process, uh, uh, no, not even probable cause in many cases. And again, now the the person who lost the who's, whose assets were confiscated. I mean, sometimes just for dr- traveling with a large quantity of cash was an excuse to confiscate the cash. And now you had to prove that it was not this cash was not um, uh, the proceeds of some criminal activity. It just turned the whole thing upside down. Well, Colorado has a bill. Uh, this is HB 1023. And um, what they want, what it will do when it passed is it would require, uh, a, a, as I understand it, an actual criminal conviction before um, you could use civil asset forfeiture. Now, as I understand it in Colorado, um, Law enforcement has 90 days after the property is seized to initiate a forfeiture proceeding. What this bill would actually do is it would require, and by the way, the forfeiture is supposed to be derived from uh, proceeds directly from the crime for which the owner is convicted. So now you have to be convicted and only the proceeds from that crime could be subject to forfeiture. Uh, Again, the fact that there's a conviction is a a huge piece of this. You know, hey, if you're going to, punish somebody, there should be some proof that they actually did it. By the way, it, it also, um, uh, this, this particular bill uh, would also uh, opt the state out of several federal, out of, out of a federal program. See, the feds came up with this nonsense as well. Again, unconstitutional. They got no constitutional authority to do this. Uh, not for state crimes, at least. Uh, but the, the, what the feds would do is say, hey, you know, Mr. Mr. County Sheriff, Mr. Local uh, uh, Police Office, you know, Police Department, um, if you bring us the case, we'll give you a cut of the forfeiture. This bill would also say Colorado said, no, we, we, we are going to opt out 
of the federal theft programs. Now, that's not to say all states are doing all sorts of things to protect individual rights. For example, um, the Maine legislature is proposing uh, a, a, a legislation that would grant the state emergency jurisdiction over children whose parents refuse to subject them to same-sex um, treatments. Uh, you know, what's, what's euphemistically called a gender confusion uh, interventions or gender-affirming care, which is really, it's really, you know, newspeak, because the whole idea of gender-affirming care is it denies the person's gender. So imagine, there you are, you're a parent, and uh, your kid comes to you with uh, some confusion, right? They suddenly decide, either because of their, their own decisions, or as in, apparently in most cases, they've been uh, exposed to this idea of, of uh, you know, transgenderism, if the parent doesn't agree to treatment, including physical mutilation, the state of Maine wants to be able to come in and take the kids away. Now, understand, that the, the, I do believe there are scenarios where the state has to step in, where the life and, and, and health of the child is in danger. But more and more evidence shows that the the this it's actually the trans the the so-called gender affirming care that is the actual danger to the child, not the a parent saying wait till you're 18 or at least, at least wait at 18 the parents can't stop them. But you're talking about the state of Maine wanting to take away minors. Oh, by the way, if you have a child that runs away in an attempt to get mutilated, if the child comes home, the state would then prevent the authorities from reuniting the runaway with the parents if they traveled out of state to get to get mutilated uh, also in california they um california apparently wants to offer free health care to illegal aliens now i prefer the word alien to immigrant because i think it more accurately describes the group as a whole and the, an immigrant is someone who desires to move here as opposed to an alien it's just somebody who comes here either permanently or temporarily as their plan. The point is they broke the law to get here, and now state law says we're going to give free health care. If, if you break the law to get here, you get free health care. Well, now, the California taxpayers are going to cough up between 3 and $6 billion a year in order to pay off the people that broke the law to get to California. Now listen, Californians, if this is your idea, if this is what you were thinking about, hey, look at, look at how moral we are. We're a sanctuary state. People can come here. We'll give them free health care. That's fine. Understand, you already got, what, a $68 billion debt, um, and now you're going to spend 3 to $6 billion more a year for these people to, to give health care to these people. Um, we expect you to pick up the tab. None of this, you know, uh, 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 Mayor Adams, oh no, the federal government has to pay for it. No, no, no. State of California, you made this decision, you have to pay for it. And if you live in California and you think this is a really foolish idea, what are you doing to hire better people, to hire better representatives? And one more quick one, the, the governor of Louisiana wants the state to start tracking the cost of illegal immigration for taxpayers. They want to get some, apparently some hard data on the uh, the actual cost to this to the state the Louisiana taxpayer 
for the uh, uh, the immigration problem again created in large part by the federal government both the the Congress and the laws that they passed and multiple administrations uh, multiple in the executive branch that have failed to apply the laws as they are written now whether or not Governor Landry is going to do anything with this still waits to be seen but it's a step so here we have again several stories about states standing up for the rights of their citizens yeah a couple maybe not so much but generally these i I like these ideas and whether you and if you live in any of these states and you think this is a great idea again not only don't only tell your legislative your legislative representative your governor right offer to back them offer to to support them say this is what we want you to do and if you do it We've got your back. We will consider this when we vote in the next in your next election. Um, we'd be willing to uh, uh, um, go on air to to write. We we would we will stand with you because you're doing the right thing. I think that's the part we keep forgetting. It's one thing to ask somebody to stand up for you. It's another to actually have their back when they do. Now, if you don't live in one of these states, or you live in a state where you know, hey, that other state's got a great idea. Well, then take that idea and bring it to your state legislator. Bring it to them and say, hey, you know this idea of, of treating gold as money or, or not tracking credit card purchases for, for ammunition or, or uh, you know, hey, how about just uh, getting rid of civil asset forfeiture or, or, or limiting it and, or in qualifying? These are great ideas. Bring these ideas to your legislator and tell them this is what we're expecting you to do. You took an oath to support the Constitution, so here's a way you can do it. And yes, we will be watching. And yes, if you do the right thing, then we will consider that at the next election. In fact, we'll even tell people during uh, during the campaign for the next election. Uh, by the way, if you don't protect our rights, we'll remember that too. And we'll make sure everybody we know knows about it and everybody we can find knows about it. And everybody we can we can talk to knows about it doesn't mean you can guarantee that you'll they'll win or lose but you got to make them nervous see i want our elected uh, positions our elected servants to be more afraid of the population the, the the electorate than they are the special interest groups or their advisors or their donors see right now they're more afraid of their donors because hey cash wins but the only way we're going to get them to stop the only way we're going to get them to protect our rights is by offering to support them when they do and offering and and making sure you work against them when they don't that's how we hold them accountable there's a lot of ways to petition the government for redis agreements one is to go to your elected representative saying why did you vote that way explain to me why that was fulfilling your oath and if it's not, I'm going to remember that. I'm going to remember that during the next election, and I'm going to be vocal about it. And that's the part we've not done a very good job on. We're more than willing to whine and complain, but we don't actually say, okay, now you've screwed up. How do I take that and use that? And at the same time, at the even more important is when they do the right thing, back them, stand behind them, give them support, a counteract whatever media narrative that comes out. Do what you can. It's it's terrifying to be out there all on your own. 
It's a big deal to have somebody say, I've got your back, and then actually mean it. I hope you've got my back. I hope you support what we're doing here at the Constitution Study. And I hope you'll come back and join us every weekday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time on America Out Loud Talk Radio, heard on the iHeartRadio Network. If you can't listen then, that's okay. All of my shows typically go to podcast a day or two after they're heard on talk radio. And you can listen in your favorite podcast app. But again, do you have my back? Do you, do you subscribe to the show? Do, do you leave the episodes ratings and reviews so that other people can help find the Constitution Study? Bring more people into the fold to listen to these ideas. They can find all the links that you need at americaoutloud.news. But again... Do you have my back? Are you taking those links? Are you sharing them? Are you sharing the Constitution study with friends, with family, on social media? Are you letting other people know there's a voice out there that's speaking what the Constitution says? See, if you want to help, if you want to help secure the blessings of liberty, if you want to enjoy the blessings of liberty, and you want to pass them on to your children, the best way is to get into the fight, and that starts by sharing those links, those articles, those podcasts, and those blessings of liberty.